Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. What's up, guys? Welcome to a bonus episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. Those were the buttery tones of Michael Pike from the Unrested. We are riding in a truck right now, and we're going hunting. And right? we don't know which way to go. We can't go out that way, can we? No. Here, to, oh, back up. Turn, turn right, and then turn right, and then at that light up there, turn left. Well, I was just... And then we'll be good to go. So it is opening day of Alabama's deer season. Uh, Mike had a little buck in front of him this morning. I didn't make it up here in time to really hunt that great this morning, so I didn't really get in a tree or anything. 
Um, but what would you describe the conditions like today, Michael? Yeah, it's overcast right now. It was supposed to be raining um, at even starting at like 2 o'clock this morning. And I think I ran into like a little sprinkle on the way down here, which I left the house. I think it was I think it was 2.40 this morning is when I actually left my house. Yeah, you texted me. I, w- I woke <laughs> up at 3.30, and it was like Michael Pike. There's a text from Michael Pike that said, you up, bro? And it was, like, <laughs> received 38 minutes ago. I was like, dang, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got an early start. I actually didn't go to sleep last night. So. Oh, dang. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you're still running. That's that nurse shift for you. Yeah, night shift problems. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah, no, I did not make it up here in time. It's like a two-hour drive for me, so yeah, that didn't quite work out. But, yeah, I mean, it's, like, in the 60s today. It's overcast. It's supposed to rain, but it it looks like it's going to miss us. It looks like we're on the northern boundary of this big storm that's coming in, and whether or not it's really going to hit us is kind of iffy. Um, we might get like a stray violent shower, but but I don't know. We'll see. Um, but so when you drove in today, you saw some deer, right? Yeah, so the deer are already moving. They were moving at like I think between 3 and 4. Um well, actually, you know, maybe even a touch later than that because um, I did run into that doe. She was feeding at the check station, and yeah. that was maybe like 4.30 or so. In the uh, morning. Maybe almost 5. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, they were they were definitely feeding um, before this front. So, mm-hmm. which right now, though, too, um, I can't remember if we're coming into a uh, – a new moon phase or if it's a full moon phase um but it seems like on both of those the deer will typically feed a little bit more at night um Mm -hmm. you know like late at like you know not just at night don't get (laughs) me wrong i mean they're always feeding at night but they're gonna be feeding you know like 12 and then they'll be feeding at like 12 in the middle of the day yeah you know um, kind of that sense. thing. In, instead of your like uh, your golden hour times, like you're you know you're right yeah. at daybreak and right at dusk. Yeah, yeah. And I saw one uh, when I pulled into the check station and get my map. You know, anybody from Alabama is familiar. Like you got to have a, a map of the place you're hunting to be legal. It's like a permit map. Um, I pulled into the check station to grab mine, and there's a little rack buck standing there in the parking lot. And that was at 6.50. And the sunrise time for today for this area is 6.51. So right right there at sunrise is like just the end of gray light is when he was hanging out. But he wasn't, he's a young deer. He had that peanut body look to him. Uh, but then I, I moved into this area, and, I mean, it was just raining, raining acorns. But I didn't, I didn't really get on anything in there. I had a, what I think was a doe uh, work past me when I was in the thicket. I was kind of pushing my way through it and she uh, slipped by at like maybe 10 yards like I heard it but I didn't see her because it was so thick and then I kind of went around the corner where I heard where I had heard her or it I don't know if it was it I mean maybe it was a booner I don't know <laughs> and I look and there's a uh, tracks in the sand right there so I was like yep missed her by or missed it by five seconds yeah, probably would have spooked it because I mean it was so close close quarters in there. I don't think I could even got a shot. But so yeah. me and me and Michael have been hunting a lot together lately. Um, in Georgia, 
because we both have Georgia licenses, and so we were hunting well, the same place. <laughs> we had a Georgia license. Well, yeah, Michael's <laughs> done expired, man, and he he ain't renewing. Mine was it. only good from from last year. I got it on October first, and it ran out October first. So. <laughs> Yeah, so we were hunting together a lot in Georgia, and over the course of, like, a bunch of conversations, we covered some serious ground as far as, like, deer movement and just things that we notice in the woods. And, uh, like, I was telling you earlier, I really want to get you and Adrian Farley together on a podcast so y'all can talk, because both of you guys do the thing where there's all kinds of little nuances and and little details that you guys notice that I think the average guy probably doesn't notice like where you're talking about like thermal shifts and everything like that yeah um so I think that'd be fascinating but I guess that's what we'll talk about right now just while we're driving around trying to figure out where we're going to hunt this afternoon okay dude I'm trying to figure out how to start this conversation about thermals because you did you like go so deep on thermals you blow my mind sometimes yeah so uh (laughs) Jeez, this road. This <laughs> crappy roads out <laughs> here. Why, why don't you walk us through like a morning hunt where your thermals are going through? So, like what they're doing before daylight. Yeah. And this also ties so, in to uh, um, who did we just have on? Robert Carter, who was talking about thermals pulling towards the sun. Uh, you had a lot, you had a bunch to say about that, so I'd like to hear your take on, yeah. on just like what you think thermals do in the morning as a, like a process. Yeah. So. Uh, Whenever I'm first going in, so most people, when you hear anybody talk about thermals, what you typically hear is, ah, thermals will be rising in the morning, and, uh, you know, at, at, you know, dark, they'll be falling, which, yes, that is true, but (laughs) a lot of people don't, don't really understand or don't think about, before the sun comes up, your thermals are still dropping, they're still dropping you know, to the lowest points around. So mm-hmm. wherever you're traveling, if you're up on high on a ridge and there's deer down along a creek, your thermals are dropping right to the creek. I mean, they're going to follow, you know, that hillside all the way down to it reaches that creek and then it's going to pull up. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it pulls up, you know, you could be busting deer out, you know, 100 yards away and you'd never even know it. Yeah. Um, so that's the first thing that when I usually hear people talk about thermals, don't just think about, you know, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning when the thermals start rising. You know, there's thermals also before you get to that point, too, and they're actually falling. So yeah. a lot of your buck movement is going to be right at, you know, gray light or maybe even before that, like this morning. Um, you know, I think you dove into yours a little bit, but yeah, I had a... Uh, at least one buck and i'm kind of on the fence there may have been two bucks i'm pretty sure it was two bucks yeah i'm pretty sure too that this the one set of eyes that lit up on my headlamp were about a foot wide i mean <laughs> that joker was like huge looked like a horse <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but the other one uh i couldn't tell you know what it was because it was a lot more narrow uh but it ended up being a racked buck and um and so you know <laughs> Just just think about those thermals and stuff like that. Uh, the bucks move. To me, so this is another thing. Um, over the years, I've noticed that bucks will move right at gray light. And then most of the time, they'll move like later in the morning. Like say, like around 10 or so. Mm-hmm. That 10 to 11, even 1130 
is a killer time to be in a stand. And just on the opposite side of that, like breaking into the afternoon, uh, that like one to three period. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it. I mean, it's yeah. killer. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people miss out on those uh, those times because, you know, they're just so ready to go. You know, by the time yeah, go get some lunch. You know, ten o'clock gets there. Like they've been on stand since you know maybe five or six o'clock in the morning. They're yeah. ready to go. And yeah, man, right, you just right don't realize how much you're missing out. Um. So what? What typically well, that's happens? What, that's what Adrian said too, because Adrian, which I had to get some quotes from him yesterday, because uh, I wrote an article for AON, uh, which included a lot of Adrian's stuff, and I asked him about that, and he said that he's he's killed between twenty and thirty mature bucks uh, in his life, and oh man, what was it? All of them except two were killed between the hours of ten and two with a majority being between the hours of 11 and 1. So, I mean, that plays right into what you're talking about. Yeah. So, almost all of the mature bucks that I've seen and killed have been between 10 and 2 also. Um, So, what typically happens in the morning, um, the bucks will will move back into an area at gray light, and then you don't see them anymore. Then what happens is you have like a lull period. Uh, as long as this is outside of the rut and you don't have bucks pushing does, you know, like around s- between 7 and 8, mm-hmm. a lot of times those does will not move back to bed until you have a little bit of a thermal switch. Yeah. And that usually happens between 8 and 8.30. Um, it's that 30-minute window. You might can, you know, give or take a little bit on each side of that, but it's it's about as consistent around here as it can be, like, between 8 and 8.30. What's the thermal shift like? How can you tell when that occurs? So, when that thermal shift occurs, so, let's say, for instance, um, let's say it's, like, a, a cold morning, uh, leaves are, you know, the the wind's blowing, you can hear all the, the leaves just all around you, it's just like, shh. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm oh, talking yeah. about. All yeah, those the whole, all the dry leaves noisy. are just like, Shh. and then all of a sudden, you'll hear all of the birds, squirrels, every bit of wildlife. It just goes completely silent for a couple of minutes, mm-hmm. and then you just know you you can hear it. You you can you can hear the difference when that happens. Like, and you'll be like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, a few minutes later, you'll notice all of those leaves that were at ground level, you know, that you've been hearing all morning long, all of a sudden they've pushed up, you know, 10, 15 foot above you, and you can hear all of that air moving through, like, the tops of the trees. So, like, what you're saying is the understory... It's almost like it becomes a little bit quieter. Yeah. In the so like the, yeah, the understory is like moving, which is all the trees that, that are like as tall as you basically, or all the leaves that are like basically between ground level and like I'd say probably ten feet right. moving, and then they they quit moving, and then um, a couple minutes later, like the the actual canopy is what actually starts to move. So everything under the canopy settles, and that's that thermal switch you're talking about. Right, gotcha. it's that warm air that's kind of like pushing everything up a little bit higher yeah see before the those cold thermals 
it was more dense and all of that was down low at your ground level mm-hmm. but once those once that shift occurs all of that all of that noise and stuff moves up in the canopy yeah okay well that makes a lot of yeah i remember you told me about that last year and then i started paying attention to it and i was like oh wow like yeah like i really really noticed it so yeah that's actually a really good way to explain it and it's funny because like it, anybody who's listened to this for like a long time knows that I'm a pretty big squirrel hunter. Like I I pretty much enjoy squirrel hunting as much as anything else. And when you get into the winter time, especially like when you have cold mornings, real cold mornings and you're out squirrel hunting, it'll typically be like very dead up until that thermal switch. And back when I was younger, I didn't really understand the whole thermal switch and everything like that. Um but Back then, the way that I noted it was I'd be like, when the sun hits the tops of the trees, that's when squirrels really start to get out and move. Now I realize that's probably the thermal switch happening. Like the sun's hitting those trees and uh, warming the air and everything, and that's what's causing like air currents to shift around. It's the same thing that causes wind, basically. We're sitting on a cutover right now, glassing with yeah. our, without binos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with our uh, with our he- headsets on. So right here to the right, by the way, I always see deer in this stuff, uh, like a lot, especially when it used to be a little bit thinner. So right now we're driving through some planted pines, young planted pines. They're probably 10-ish years old. Yep. Got some size to them. I mean, the bigger ones are probably about six inches in diameter. Uh, kind of open underneath. They're, they're kind of getting to the point now where the pines are getting old enough, they're shading out everything beneath them. So they're not quite as attractive for, for wildlife uh, just because there's not as much thick cover up under them. Um, so now, about these pines. You've hunted pines like this before, which I'll take a picture of these, uh, and I can drop it, drop that picture on our socials when this episode drops. Like, Have you have you hunted pines like that? Oh, yeah. Off Lots. the ground? Yep, off the ground. So Killed bucks it? off the ground. Yeah, what's yeah. that like? Uh, quick. Quick. <laughs> 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 Everything about it's quick. I mean, your your lanes. You got to make sure you've got lanes to shoot in any direction. Uh, <laughs> you've got to be on your toes. You've really got to listen to the birds. Um, and I know you've heard me preach that over and over again. But I'll tell you what. I started keying in on that the more I started hunting on the ground in pines because. These deer, you will not know that they're coming because they're quiet. You yeah. know, if they're Silent. if they're you know in the pine straw, uh, and there's no leaves, I mean they're quiet. Especially if it's a rainy day, I mean they're on you before you know it. Yeah, I unless mean, literally just like floating through the pines. Exactly, basically. might as well be floating. Un- unless you know what to listen for, and birds. that's not for leaves. That's for the birds. Yeah. So. You have blue jays, um, and there's there's two different other kind of birds, and I can't I can't think of them right off the top of my head. Um, I think a robin is one of them, and um, and I can't remember what the other one is, but but basically uh, they will uh, they'll alert you to uh, to a deer coming uh, if you're in there already and you're set up and you're quiet. Uh, you've already, you know, came through and disturbed everything and you may have had birds, you know, hollering at you. Uh, if you're there and you're quiet, uh, those, um, those birds, whenever a deer comes through, uh, 
they'll start cutting up and they'll let you know um if you've ever been hunting and you've heard birds you know just a hundred yards away from you uh and especially at those times that we mentioned earlier you know if it's between 8 and eight thirty in the morning you best believe that there's a group of does or some small buck that's coming yeah. from where those birds are you, and you can hear they those birds will start in one place and they'll gradually move with whatever's walking through mm-hmm. now if you really hear them cut up a lot i mean just crazy i mean just crazy crazy you'll know uh, you'll like, know it's a bobcat or either there's something up in the air like a hawk or something like that interesting and if there's a hawk you'll also hear uh squirrels if you have any squirrels around oh you, yeah they will light up now i'm not now yeah like when you're squirrel hunting which anybody who squirrel hunts a lot has probably seen this you'll be sitting there and be putting a stalk on some squirrels and then a hawk will, or something will fly over and one of the squirrels will spot it and they'll usually jump on the side of the tree and start flicking their tail like crazy and chattering uh really fast so yeah that's pretty that's pretty interesting growing up we were always thinking about squirrels you know chattering at deer and everything but we never paid much attention to the birds and ever since you know i've heard you and other people talk about you know birds making sound like that at deer uh, i definitely feel like it's true look someone stuck an arrow up under that wma sign mm-hmm. interesting i wonder if i killed something right here i don't know i wonder if that was there yesterday or uh, saturday i don't know interesting interesting i mean it looks pretty old the veins do at least or maybe he gut shot a deer. <laughs> it may have. Stained it. <laughs> Man, those pines right here look good. So now we're looking at, I mean, it's hard to put an age on them. Maybe 30-year-old pines thinned out. Uh, these pines are plenty big enough. They're like the perfect size you'd want to put a climber in. Yep. Um, like maybe 12 to 14 inches diameter. And you could probably get up in a lot of these. You could probably get up 20 to 25 foot without hitting the first branch. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's nice and thick underneath. Um, it's not as thick as I'd like it to be, but there's a lot. There's just a lot of crap growing up underneath these things. Like, like right here, I can see a lot of hickory saplings, some oak saplings, yep. um, some goldenrod, which is a, like a I don't know what it is. I don't think it's a grass. It's like a forb or something. Um, looks like some muscadine and some honeysuckle. And what's that other one, uh, jasmine or something? Jasmine? Yep. How do you say that? Jasmine. Jasmine. What? Yeah. Okay. Yellow, yellow jasmine. Uh, Deer will eat that stuff. I've seen them eat it. Yep. I have two on the right. down in Old Barber County. Yeah. Uh, the only reason I found that out is because uh, what was it two years ago we got that snow and it put down like four inches of snow down there in January mm-hmm. and I went out tracking and oh, I yeah. followed all of these tracks and I noticed that there were these tracks and they all went in the same little trail and then all of a sudden they all broke off and went separate directions and then they came back together and I was like what what's going on here and mm. then I, I noticed they'd been eating that yellow jasmine it was growing up the edge of the trees right there oh. and they were going over there to each of these little trees and I guess it was a group of does and they all came back together after they fed and then went and huh. continued on that one trail. That's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, a way that I used to explain to people about, like, deer trails and, and how deer kind of operate is, like, their trail systems. Because we used to just only hunt trails. Like, our entire hunting strategy was only based off game trails. And uh, it's kind of like 
it's kind of like how our roads are. You know, you have your neighborhood, which would be the beds, and there's like little trails throughout bedding areas and everything. And then you'll have like main arteries that kind of lead out of there, and you'll find like a beat down trail in areas. And then when you get to a feeding area, like, I don't know, like a mall or like a workplace or something for people, um, it all spreads out again, and you get more like little roads. And you have like interstates between the two and highways between the two. And deer trails are pretty similar in my experience. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, the way I explained it, um, I, don't, I don't remember if it was on a podcast or, or what it was, um, but the way I explained it is like as far as betting, you know, you've got your main trail, which is like your interstate, and then nobody wants to live, <laughs> nobody wants to put their house right on the interstate, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so you you have a little road that, that branches off from the interstate. Well, you know, that's kind of the same thing as deer. Like, you know, a deer doesn't want to be right where all the action is going on, right where people are going to be coming by or, or deer, yeah. animals. You know, they want to be able to observe what's going on on that trail. So a lot of times they won't bed right on that trail. And another thing, uh, if you're ever going and walking a good trail or even like one of the side trails, one of the smaller ones, mm-hmm. and you notice all of a sudden it disappears and you're like, well, which way does the trail go? That's when you need to look for the bed. And you need to jump up about 10 or 20 yards and start looking for the bed because that's what happens. I guess whenever, you know, they're coming in, they come in the same way. Uh, and whenever that disappears right there, I don't know if, you know, they're maybe browsing on stuff, you know, in different areas right there. But that's where you need to focus on uh, the bed location because that's typically where they're at. Um, yeah. Right there where that trail runs out and you can't figure out which way it goes, just jump up in elevation, you know, mm-hmm. 10 or 20 yards and look for something like a blowdown, uh, some kind of, you know, tree with shade, uh, you know, things like that. Yeah, thicket, you know, around here. Yep. A lot of pine thickets, especially on top of the hills. Pretty much everything down low is hardwoods, but everything, pretty much every bit of, like, marketable timber here has been cut. Or not every bit, but... Um, at some point in the last 50 years that has been cut. So, like, this stand in front of us probably cut, like, 40 years ago, and now we got mature pines. Right. Not quite big enough to be saw timber, but still, mature pines looks good. They thinned them, uh, like, three or four months ago, and there's some good growth in them already, but it's not spectacular. But, yeah, the the trail thing, it might be different for flatland because I'm not super experienced in flatland, but here... You know, I I describe this place, it's not like, it's not mountainous, but it's got enough topography to really make a difference. Right. Like, you get on some hills that are very, very steep, but most of them are, like, you know, decent hills. They're not super steep, but they're big um, for, like, just regular hill country. Maybe, like, a 100 foot in elevation or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And so, we always, and this is something I kind of stress to folks, too, is, like, We don't call them deer trails. We call them game trails because if you sit on one long enough, you're going to see a lot more than just deer. Right. Um, You'll see turkeys. You'll see bobcats, foxes, coyotes. Everything uses them, Uh, which that's probably another reason that you don't typically find. You don't typically find the deer beds right on the trail, and you typically find them above it. Right. Because they can get right up there and watch it. I mean, I can't even. Yeah, I can't even tell you how many times I've seen coyotes running down game trails. Oh yeah. So. Because in this hill country, there's a reason that trail's there. It is the path of least resistance to go through 
whatever they're trying to get through, whether yeah. they're cutting up the edge of a hill or going through a saddle or just whatever. A lot of them are on that, you know, military crest, and they're running that. And then when you mm-hmm. get to, like, a bluff gap or something like that, yep. you know, you'll see them drop down, you know, or a draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of draws are on the inside of a draw. You know, you'll see a trail going down. Um, and then on, you know, the very top on the, on the spine, you, you may have some, you know, trails up there too. Um, That's a pretty good explanation of it. That's how we used to hunt around here, but sometimes I'll, I think I need to get back to that a little bit because I, I swear I used to kill more deer than I do now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really want to go out. I mean, because we used to come out and just walk for hours out here. I mean, literally walk all day until we found, like, just a beat down, carved into the side of the hill trail. Like, we call them, like, ancient trails. Because, yep. I mean, like, the landscape out here, yes, like, the timber and habitats changed, but the actual lay of the land doesn't really change outside of strip mines yeah and Um, we're we're kind of at a disadvantage um down here in in certain portions of the south uh especially like up there at bankhead where i you know spend a lot of time yeah the ground is hard uh and there's not really any mud or anything like that so as far as like finding tracks Mm -hmm. uh, even the roads a lot of the roads are gravel yeah this hard compact dirt yeah. And even after rain, you're lucky to find, you know, even a track. You might find like a mud puddle mm-hmm. and you might find a track, but that's about it really. Yeah. Uh but I will say that the one thing uh up there that's different than anywhere else in Alabama that I know of is they have the hemlock trees. Yeah, those that hemlocks is the only place. Those hemlocks will uh will basically they they're they put out so much shade that they will not let anything grow underneath them. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is all those pine needles will fall to the ground, and the deer, they're so light, when the deer walks that trail and kicks them, it's, it moves them out of the way. And yeah. those pine needles stay there. There's nothing moving those pine needles. And so you will see the best-looking trail going through those hemlocks. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I've never seen that. Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, eastern hemlock, the only place you find it in Bama is Bankhead National Forest. That's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Out here, you know, you'll have you have different like kinds of game trails and it's it can be misleading because you'll you'll come out and you'll find one in the side of a hill. And I mean these trails have been used forever. I mean, as long as deer have been running around here, you know, if like if you have a steep hill and there's some torrent like a, let's say there's a saddle up on top of a hill and the hill is really steep and to come down off the hill you know, the deer use the same trail every single time. Mm-hmm. Over time, I mean, they wear it into the earth. I mean, it is like a walking trail. Um, so it's always there, and it's really obvious, and it gets you really excited when you see it. But the flip side of that is that they go dormant. You know, not every trail is used all the time. Right. So that's something that we used to kind of struggle with, is we'd find a big trail, and we'd hunt it, hunt it, hunt it, hunt it, and then it'd be great. We'd be all over deer on that trail for, like, a couple weeks and then it would go dead again right and looking back now i now realize that it was probably like changing food sources or or whatever affected changing bedding once you oh know, yeah. hunting season comes in and pressure i mean yeah you have so many different factors you've got you know cooler weather you know summer weather versus cooler weather you know those beds can definitely change in that you know they may prefer to to be on, you know, a south-facing slope in the winter, whereas in the summer we were getting all the south winds, so they would, you know, maybe prefer to be on the, the north side. Uh, so yeah. there's so many different factors that go into that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
you know, we do all this, like, we were talking about it earlier, we do all this complicated stuff to get on deer. And on most of these WMAs on gun days, most of your, like, rack bucks are killed in cutovers. Mm-hmm. I mean, the vast majority yeah. of them. Those cutovers can be very, very productive. Um, the most productive days that I've found cutovers to work is if you get a cold front that pushes through, and with that cold front, you have that rain, you know, yeah. right ahead of it. Mm-hmm. Well, the first, the first cold day after that front pushes through, you know, you have the high wind day. The first uh, day that that wind dies down a little bit, and you get those bluebird skies and that crisp cold morning. They will be out in those cutovers, man. I oh, mean, they yeah. will light them up. Yeah, especially in the rut, man. Like the rut. Guys, that's when, it, like, out here and most other WMAs I hunt, like, it, dude, it gets lit up. Every every gun hunt, there's a, I mean, pretty much every cutover has a guy on it. Or that's probably an exaggeration, but, I mean, a lot of cutovers have guys. Because mm-hmm. there's just a lot of people that hunt these gun hunts. And uh, so, I mean, it's bound that something's going to get killed in a cutover. It's kind of like a numbers game, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. You know, like... Are the cutovers really that good, or is there just so many people hunting cutovers that somebody's bound to shoot like a rack buck on them? Well, I think the thing is is you've got so many people pushing deer around, and Mm -hmm. if you have a cutover at their level, you know, it looks, and it is thick at their level, but if you're up in a tree somewhere and you can see down into that cutover, they feel safe, but you can actually still, you know, pick them out. Especially once that sun comes up and they hit that rack and get that glistening glow oh, on yeah. them. Oh, man, that's a, that's a awesome. <laughs> it's one o two in the afternoon now. We've got basically six hours of light left, roughly. No, five. Five hours. Um, Yeah, dude, I don't know where to go this afternoon. Strategy for me. Well, let's, let's hit this real quick. Yeah, strategy. that's what I was fixing to say, actually. Yeah, strategy. strategy this season. Yeah, so I'm trying to look at something where I can find thick cover with some kind of food source right next to it. And this year, I'm trying to break myself of the habit of wanting to go and get, you know, as far as I humanly can off of a road. Because normally that's been my thing for like the last two years, just because I don't know why. Like, I like doing that. I like pushing myself and going in deep and uh, just trying to find something off the beaten path. But, I was like I was telling you earlier, that's fun and everything, but just because you walk way far off a road doesn't mean you're going to get into good deer. Yeah, and especially the, in early season. Especially I mean, you don't have the season. pressure yet. And, I mean, dude, just the amount of time that you spend getting to the area, you know, it, I mean, it eats up your hunting time. You know, if I have to, instead of, you know, a half an hour or let's say like a 15-minute walk, you're taking like an hour to walk in. I mean, that's like a lot of time in the stand that you're missing. Uh, And when you're like working on a limited schedule and you like can't even start going to your spot until the afternoon hours, like that that can really cut in. So this year I'm trying, I'm making a concited effort to try and find some deer in some more accessible places. And I think that's going to have to do with hunting stupid spots that I wouldn't have hunted before. Right. Uh, just something that looks goofy, small woodlots, uh, right next to roads. Um, something I have to crawl through or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yours, your tactic is kind of similar to that, but you went a little deeper as far as bedding goes. So I, I'd like you to explain that. Yeah. So um, so the past few years are really focused on, you know, beds and bedding and 
tried to tried to make it work and there's two deer right there. Yep. Fawns. Spotted fawn. Man, that was a small deer. Where's Good mama ass? Let me get this camera. Man, that was a that was a little bitty fawn. Good lord. So I've always focused on betting, but you know, I haven't been successful um to the extent I felt like I should be and I think a large large majority of that uh has to do with the place that I was hunting. Mm-hmm. Um because I've I've been to uh Georgia and I mean during those sits, I mean I was almost on a buck every single yeah. day that we were down there. Yeah. Um and just like today I was, you know, on that buck today, but uh one thing I did change up this season was I, I've always gone shed hunting and I mentioned this to Dan Infall when we did that um podcast with uh uh down south hunting with yeah. Mike Higman. Yeah, it's um, their latest it's not the scent control one they did a while back. It's their they did another one with Dan and Michael guest hosted on it. Uh so y'all should go check that out. That was actually a really good episode. So go on. So uh I asked Dan, um one thing that I'd noticed where I'd been hunting, um is I always find all of the sheds at you know, especially the good bucks at the highest elevation in an area. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even uh, Nathan Prots, whenever um, he went scouting, maybe like a maybe like a year ago or something like that, mm-hmm. I think he found a uh, six point on one side shed. Ooh. It would have been a twelve point if it was uh, symmetrical, um, and it was at one of the highest elevations in that area. Yeah, um, and it was actually right next to uh, to a road. Um, and, um, it's just stuff like that. I mean, so what I've been focusing on this season is to find those high elevation, uh, bedding cover. And then I have to have a food source at that same elevation, um, real close to bedding. You know, even if I have, uh, a really nice bedding point, uh, and it, it looks excellent. If it doesn't have, you know, some type of hardwoods right now, if it doesn't have some type of hardwoods at that same elevation, I'm kind of overlooking it. Yeah. Um, it's got to have food. Right. It's But at that same elevation as the bedding. Yeah. Because I feel like they're more likely to go there uh, during all times of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you are hunting a food source that's lower down in elevation or even in the bottom, um, you know, the chances of that deer making it from those high elevations to that lower elevation, you know, it may not happen until dark, you know, or right after dark. Uh, and and they may not feel, you know, there's a certain area around their bedding area, uh, where they, you know, probably feel safe. And so I'm trying to focus on those areas, uh, so far, I've been pretty lucky. Um, I've seen a I've seen a lot of bucks, a lot of deer um, moving at those uh, at those areas. So yeah, um, so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now. Um, with it being early season, another thing that I, another tactic that I'm uh, doing right now is uh, going and finding the rubs. So here in Alabama, they're just coming out of velvet. And um, if you can locate rubs, then you can locate 
where they've been at within the past few weeks or a month. So likely that food source has not changed uh, in that amount of time. If anything, um, you know, we've got more oaks that are dropping right now. I mean, I was out there this morning, dude, and it sounded like it was hell and Oh, yeah. It was just raining down everywhere. I had white oaks and red oaks both around me. They were both dropping. Me too. I mean, no wind or anything, just raining out of those trees. Right. So, yeah, the acorn crop is on this year, man. Last year, for this area, it was kind of a bust. I know other people in Alabama had a great crop, but for here, I couldn't find a dang acorn last year, and it it messed with me big time. Yeah. uh, but so, yeah, yeah. D- would you say that you've overlooked food over the last few years? You've been so focused on betting that you yeah, failed to look at food. Yeah. So, and one of my uh, goals last year, when when me and Parker were doing Southern Ground, um, one of our goals, one of my goals, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I, I think I threw that goal in there was to learn food, um, and I've really tried to push a lot of that. Uh, you know, paying more attention to, you know, what the deer are eating, uh, feed trees. Um, I still haven't been back up to Bankhead where, you, where you've got a white oak every 15 foot that's, you know, there, yeah. I mean, the place is just loaded with it. Like down here, you have way more pines than you do hardwoods. That up there, see, that's like a, a national forest. And uh, there's certain areas that, you know, they have pine stands, but a large, large majority of it is has kind of really been untouched. Besides, they'll go in and they'll do controlled burns, or they may go in and uh, select cut uh, the hardwoods yeah, um, and allow stuff to grow up underneath. But, um, but yeah, I've been paying more attention to uh, to the food sources, definitely. And I think it helps, you know, if you have trouble with any of this stuff, find you somebody, you know, go on one of these forums. Um, I I can't tell you how many people I've gone scouting with and met, uh, you know, to show them things that I've, you know, learned um, over the years, you know, just to help them out. But I also find, you know, like hanging out with you. Mm -hmm. Um, Andrew's very, very knowledgeable um, when it comes to, uh, different types of food sources and trees um, a lot more knowledgeable than I had ever 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 thought you know that I'd become yeah. um, so and, and I still have a long ways to go to even be half as knowledgeable as you are uh, about you. you know a lot of these food sources especially um, so I think you know getting surrounding yourself with people who may hunt differently or may be more experienced of a hunter, uh, I think those kinds of things will, you know, help propel somebody to a next level. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah, the food source thing is, like, all this, like, hunting bee stuff and everything, which people might not get this from the podcast, go left right here, um, and then take your next right. People might not get it from the podcast, but, like, my entire life, I've been kind of your more old-fashioned deer hunter. Where, like I said, we're hunting trails, and we're hunting, like, oak trees. And, you know, you talk about there being, like, a bunch of oaks. Um, we would, when we had areas, oh, see if there's a deer back. Nope, no deer. Um, back when I was growing up and we were hunting a lot, we we had a club. Yeah, right here. We had a club that had a lot of oak trees on it, just I mean, kind of what you're talking about, like a 
like sizable hardwood stands, not just your little like tiny SMZs like we have throughout this area. Um, and we would always look for what we called a sweet tree, where I don't know, I don't know what the what the difference was, but it'd be like an oak tree, and you would you'd be watching deer like on a hardwood ridge or in a bottom or something, and they might browse here and there, but for the most part, they're walking straight to that one tree, and they're just eating under it for whatever reason. Uh, and they're, I mean, they're walking over other acorns to get to this one. So I don't know if it has to do with the, it probably has something to do with the soil composition or, or, you know, how well that tree is competing in the canopy or something like that. But there's, there was a noticeable difference with that. And that's stuff that we used to look for, uh, big time. So over these last few years, I've transitioned though, to doing like the whole bed hunting beast tactic, run a gun mobile thing. And like, I mean, literally, I'm killing less deer than I was before, just straight up. I mean, I used to kill about four a year, and now I'm doing good to kill two. Um, I've eked out two, two years in a row. Uh, hopefully, I can turn that around this year, though. But I think that it's because, and I think that you'll probably agree with this, I went kind of cold turkey on the other stuff and focused hard on bedding. Yep. Um, and I failed to relate other things to it. And I, when I think about it now, I'm... I realized that I was ha- I'm having the same problem with bedding that I was having with food. I was just looking at food and stuff and not relating it to anything else. I was just taking it as the end-all, be-all. And when you do that same thing with bedding, I think you get stuck in the exact same trap. Right. Where you, you Just know, like you, you were talking earlier with your trails. I mean, your trails go dormant. Yep. Uh, your beds do, too. I mean, those beds are only consistent as, you know, the food source and the pressure and those other factors that go along with it. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree, dude. Yeah, and, and I was telling you this earlier. This is another thing we were talking about. Uh, this is why we decided to just record this, because I mean, whenever me and Michael get together and hunt, I'm like, man, we just need to record and make a great podcast. But uh, one thing I was telling you earlier is that I'm, I'm working really hard this year to try and change my mindset on on hunting in general, where I would be like, before... I'm kind of like, okay, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to, I have to set up right there and kill a deer where it's like hunting is more of like an action. Like I have a plan in my head and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to like achieve that plan. And, uh, now I'm trying to think of it more as like a process. Yeah. Like a progression. Like you, you mm -hmm. go in and you have this one thing in mind, you know, this area will be good for a certain reason and you adapt as you're going in. Yep. Cause I mean, I used to do like, I've done like I haven't devoted my entire life to deer hunting or anything. Like one reason that we named this thing the Southern Outdoorsman is because you know Jacob too, but mostly me. Like I, I do everything. Um, I was telling you earlier that in high school I skipped the rut two years in a row to trap coyotes and coons. Yeah, there's so, no way in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I, I, yeah, I've done. I'd squirrel hunt, I dove hunt, I rabbit hunt, I deer hunt, I turkey hunt, I trap. I, I mean, I, I'm like a generalist. Like every, anything outdoors, I do it. Yeah, and and that shows. Uh, you know, when we're walking through the woods and we're scouting, because you're picking out stuff for every game animal there is where i'm strictly focused on deer <laughs> i'm like look at that mink track over there yeah yeah man i because back in high school i was like somebody somebody told me you can go left or right it don't matter i just want you to see this cover back here because i think you'd be interested in this area is this the one that's all sage yes yeah um but yeah dude, someone told me back in high school they're like yep you know the ultimate outdoorsman is a trapper 
because anybody who knows how to fish who's like a fisherman that's their main thing pretty much all they do is fish most people that hunt like pretty much every hunter is also a fisherman pretty much every trapper is a hunter and a fisherman <laughs> you know like like the guys who trap typically do it all right whether that's true or not i mean actually that is probably pretty well, true but uh, i can tell you this most of your most knowledgeable hunters uh have a history of trapping yeah well uh, dude it's one of my favorite things i had to sell my trapping gear when i went to college because uh, i didn't have one i didn't have room for it for the most part but i didn't have room to tan hides anymore but also uh i didn't have the time to go run traps because i mean it's super super labor intensive um that goes to show how how um how much like a partier I was in high school. <laughs> Everyone else was like out at bonfires and stuff, and I was running my traps, getting bed in early, and uh, I'd like wake up, wake up before daylight and go run my traps and then go to school. Yeah, Smell I didn't hit coyote. full stride until uh, I graduated, and then I moved to Colorado, and yeah, from that period until I was about, oh, god, maybe like twenty eight, twenty nine. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I d- I really didn't deer hunt hardly any in that time. So even though I started at a young age, I, there was about ten years, maybe even more than that, where I didn't hunt because I didn't have the money to to get into a hunting club, you know. And um, yeah, I wasn't ever brought up in public land hunting. So <laughs> I've only just recently, I'd say within the past five years, gotten into public land hunting, and that was ever since the hunting beast. Well. And, and <coughs> excuse me, and um, I also had this issue where uh, where I killed too many bucks, evidently, and they didn't have a spot for me in the hunting club anymore. So, um, <laughs> I got a convenient story like how that. that works, huh? I got a story um, a lot like that. So yeah. So anyways, after that, uh, I I said I was done with uh with hunting clubs, and I would spend my money, you know, in better places. So. Yeah, traveling around doing. Actually, funny thing, that little hilltop right up there, where you see that little clay patch on the right, that's where I trapped my very first coon. Um, yeah, I had a similar thing where I had a, I had I had a club that I was able to go to with my buddy Colton and his dad. Just so you know, we're about to see a deer. <laughs> Michael's getting his camera out. <laughs> Down in those hardwoods. Usually. Usually when I get these uh, the six cents filling, usually it's pretty spot on. Where that man? Yeah, I, I figured you'd like this cover back here, but yeah, man, I had a similar thing with a hunting club where I like I had done something that wasn't against the rules or anything like that. But one hey, of you the, got my memory card? Yeah, one of the guys got mad about it, and uh, that was the end of my hunting club days. And so yeah, I had the same kind of revelation as you. Is man, I'd rather spend that money and go you know, on like an out of state trip or something and yeah, be in a club where everyone's bossing you around and everyone's mean to each other. Spin it on Sitka gear and Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lone Wolf Yeah or Saddles like Saddles or Camera something. Gear. Yeah, no, that's fun that's that's funny you mention that 'cause like there's some there's a lot of guys who are like, How do you afford that stuff? I'm like, I don't pay hunting club dues. Yeah. And also I make bad financial decisions <laughs> when it comes to hunting gear. Yeah. <laughs> I spend too. way too much money on it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh so now we're driving through a older not older a newer cutover probably i think they cut this two years ago i, I remember driving out here to go turkey hunt 
right after they cut it. And I got out here. I was like, well, the woods are gone. I'm telling you, dude, there's a, there's a deer in here right now. Oh, yeah. That gas line back there. This this area right here looks killer. See, now this is the kind of thing. This is a large clear cut, everyone listening right now. This is uh, probably, I mean, well over a 100-acre clear cut. And, you know, there's rolling hills through it. There's dips in it. And, I mean, you could come out here with, like, a group of five people and hunt this thing and not see each other. I mean, it's a big cutover. Lots of little folds and divots in it. This is where, like, when you're talking central Alabama deer hunting, I'm talking, like, between Coleman and Otago County or so. Or, or I would say from Coleman down to the Black Belt. Central Alabama, like, timberland kind of stuff. Most of your bucks are getting killed in stuff like this. Or maybe not, if not most, then a very good percentage of them yeah, are very killed large stuff percentage. just like this. So, yeah, this, this is pretty good looking, man. This might be worth revisiting with a rifle. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, dude. I think that this year we've already had pretty good success as far as seeing deer goes. It's just a matter of making it all come together, which uh, we'll see. So let's uh let's hit on a few more things, okay? Yeah. Let's hit on um early season tactics. So um I I think I'd started mentioning uh one of those tactics which was uh finding the whip rubs, finding those early season rubs and um so w- when you locate those, uh, especially the ones that are along a creek, um I'm not so much worried about the ones that are along the creek. All they're doing is telling me that that's probably where they're coming into the creek at, which is usually like, you know, what I'd refer to as a, a thermal hub. Um, and I didn't coin that term. The coin, uh, that term was actually coined by uh, Autumn Ninja, which was on the Hunting Beast years and years ago. Um, but he called them high thermal hubs, which was kind of like where you have a, uh, a couple of ridges or maybe like one bowl that's at a higher elevation and the deer seem to drop into that little bowl. But what I'd found was wherever you have uh, creek drainages come in and uh, and all kind of intersect, uh, you know, along one one main creek you know, where you have all of these ridges and all of these draws that come in. Mm-hmm. Um, the sign, that's where you usually find, you know, a lot of that sign. So if you can go to one of those areas and you can find that sign, uh, then start looking for the higher elevation bedding points um, and work your way back up that way. And once you've worked through all of them, you should have a good understanding of where they're bedded because a majority of the time, uh, these deer, as soon as they get up out of their bed at these higher elevation bedding points, they'll throw down at like three or four whip rubs in an area. And a lot of times that's going to be right on the fringe of where they're bedding at. And that's when you know you're in the right spot, especially for early season. So that's an early season tactic that you can kind of employ. Go look for these early season rubs. If this, you know, if the deer have just shed their velvet and you know where they're at and then you know where they're bedding at because those rubs will tell you. Um, so just one of those things that, you know, could help somebody out potentially as far as mm-hmm. early season, you know, tactics. Yeah. Getting on bucks. As far as feed trees go as well, your hunt this morning is like a killer example of this. You know, when we talk about feed trees a lot and our guests talk about feed trees, like obviously everyone's mind probably goes straight to like a white oak or something or Mm -hmm. maybe a persimmon. Yeah. Well, this morning. Like mine did. Yeah, exactly. So Michael found 
which I do not find out here often at all. I mean, I just don't find them. But he found one, like a feed tree like what like Richard and all those other guys have talked about, where, I mean, it's just like unmistakable. It, almost it looks, looks like, like somebody took a garden tiller and just tilled it up back and forth yep. in a about a, I don't know, a 10, 10 by 10 yard uh, area. Yeah. And he, he couldn't find an oak, couldn't find a persimmon, and what it ended up being was a beech tree. Uh, dropping beech nuts and beech trees don't make that often and that's what's funny is because up there in bankhead there are beech trees everywhere everywhere. and that is usually where you find your scrape or a massive rub that's just giant rubs on beech trees huge ungodly rubs yeah they're ridiculous yeah yeah so beech trees they don't make that often but when they do I mean that the the fruit or the nut that they produce is highly, highly, highly preferred by pretty much all game species. So that's like when you see that it's kind of like white oak acorns. When you see that like phenomena of the of like the what looks like the ground is tilled up beneath a tree. That's not just deer doing it. You got turkeys in there scratching. You got coyotes running through there and eating them. You got groundhogs. You got squirrels, birds, all kinds of stuff feeds on that same exact thing. Um, so that's that's how you end up getting that, and um, so yeah, it happened to be a beech tree for you this morning. So yep. that that's kind of one and of those things where people are like, right. "What do I need to know trees to deer hunt?" Blah, yeah. blah. Well, well, you know, and it was in that area where you know there's one creek that meets up with another creek, and all it, it basically have you know one main draw between two ridge lines, and then you have a third one that joins in, and you have this huge hub right there. And that's where we found the scrape. Yep. Uh, that had just been peed in. There's I mean, a it was wet still spot. wet. Yep. And it was, it was probably the deer, the little buck that, or, you know, could have been that big boy. Yeah, it could have been so, a horse head. So, <laughs> and, and that would lead into another thing. So, you know, to help you find these certain areas, um, there's a couple of different tactics you can go about to, to find these areas where there's a bachelor group of bucks at, you know, besides finding the whip rubs. Um, and that's, you know, glassing as much as you can. Um, and if you can't glass, like in a majority of our WMAs, you know, it's not like we have a, uh, a bunch of open fields, Mm -hmm. um, open timber where you can just see, you know, from one high spot and, and cover hundreds of acres. That's just not going to happen down here. Yeah. Um, so one thing you can do though, uh, is drive the roads uh, during those periods when the deer are moving back closer to bed. So a lot of times between that 3 and 4 a.m. time period, they're feeding. And a lot of times they'll feed, you know, like around houses and stuff like that. So if you've got private property that, you know, butts up uh, to, uh, you know, some kind of public land or you've got a, a main road or any of these side roads, um, those areas, you know, can hold a lot of deer at night um, for whatever reason you know I guess creatures of edge they just like to be on the edge and so a lot of times you'll see them on the edge of the roads and then cross them back over and if you can locate you know just one buck then you may have you know his core area you can narrow it down to an area uh, and this is something I, I implemented last season when I went to Sam R. Murphy Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd never been up there, didn't know where the deer were. And so I actually did it by mistake. Um, I got up there <laughs> kind of like this morning, 
uh, I left really, really early, um, which this morning I was doing it on purpose, and I was trying to drive the roads um, to see if I could spot any deer. And I did see, you know, probably like four or five. Um, but during the rut up there in Selmar Murphy, uh, it was the same time period that uh, the hunting public came down. So uh, when I went up there, um, I just started driving those roads, and those deer were crossing those roads, and I was able to pinpoint this big, huge buck. Yeah. Well, I went in there uh, the next morning, and that's when I had, I can't remember how many was it. Was it three? No, it was four. Yeah, I think it was three four. Three or four. Four bucks uh, chasing one doe. I mean, yeah. they were dogging that doe, which is something <laughs> you really don't see a whole lot yeah uh down here in alabama you know oh yeah it's it's not like you you know you you'll see a whole bunch of bucks chasing uh does around um it, it's just not something you typically see down here yeah I for whatever reason on one hand how many times i've seen like multiple bucks just dogging a doe at once right you know they'll come they'll come by like a couple minutes apart sometimes right but when you see them like all together like that yeah like i've never seen oh that man anymore. my adrenaline was pumping <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. You're driving roads. I mean, use what's at your disposal, and I mean, probably the most overlooked piece of sign ever is tracks. You know, like look at tracks crossing roads. One thing I used to do down here, uh, back when I was growing up, a lot is I would come out here like after school or whatever, and I would drive these roads slowly and mm-hmm. just be looking out the window, and I'd be looking at tracks, but mainly I was looking for trails. And I remember one day finding a trail on, like, the main road up there yeah. that I had driven past. I'm not kidding you, especially because this was after I'd, like, trapped the area for a year. I had driven past this trail hundreds of times and never seen it. <laughs> hundreds. And there's no telling how many times other people drove past it, you know, without seeing it, too. Right. And uh, so I started hunting those woods, and I follow the trail into the woods, and it goes down the spine of this ridge. And you get to the end of that ridge, and sure enough, there's a beech tree there. And there's uh, three or four just big, huge scrapes right there, like Mm -hmm. community-type scrapes, kind that I like to look for. And uh, they're there every single year. Every single year I go in there, those scrapes are there. Um, I haven't hunted it too terribly much. Um, I've hunted around it a good bit, though. And, I mean, there's there's a lot of deer in there. Had good luck, and, like, that's all it took. It took me just driving a road and just, like, I mean, you could call it woodsmanship, I guess, just driving a road and just looking for the simple sign. You don't have to do, like, a like this complicated, like, map analysis, you know, with, like, bedding points and where you think feed trees are going to be based on slope and all this crazy stuff. You know, at the end of the day, you can just drive out there and find something like that, and you can locate yourself a pretty dang good spot. I mean, yep. that's how I killed, like, my first, like, 10 deer out here or whatever. Right. So... And that's a that's a good tactic, you know, where it's available. Um, San Mar Murphy and Barber County, both of those are really muddy areas. And, I mean, those tracks are all over the place. Um, like I said, Bankhead, not so much. Good luck up there. Um, but, uh, you know, if you've got that advantage, you know, at your disposal, uh, I think it's a, a killer way to track down some of these deer. Yeah, I tend I tend to agree with you. Um, man, yeah, we need to probably figure out where we're about to hunt. Yep, <laughs> it's uh it's one thirty now, or so. Is it one thirty? Yep, yep, one thirty three. Oh boy! All right, well, all right, we're gonna sign off here. I hope everyone enjoyed this. Michael, you got anything else? No, there's a persimmon tree right there. 
Is there persimmons is. on it? Yep, there's persimmons yep, on it. Yep, it sure is. And we're in a muddy spot. I wonder if there's some tracks. Sure is a bad location for that thing. Yeah. Yep. See, that's another thing. Driving down the road, here's a persimmon hanging over the dang road. <laughs> yep. I wish I could find one way out in the woods. Uh, see, okay, and that's another thing, by the way. Um, as far as, like, trees go, this will be my, like, last thing I say, is I remember Jacob talking about this earlier this year, too, when I was hunting in Georgia. He's like, man, uh, some of my buddy up in Tennessee said the persimmons are about done. I'm like, they ain't even started turning orange down here yet. This is, yeah. like, around the beginning of the season. That's a, that's something that you got to watch out for, especially now that, I'd be willing to bet that most of the people listening to this are in, like, Facebook groups. If they're on some kind of, like, social media platform, whether it be a forum or, or Instagram or Facebook or whatever, where they can communicate with other hunters from different areas as them. Um, geographic location has a lot to do with plants and when stuff matures on a plant and how plants grow and everything. So, you know, the, the it might have been... You know, up in northern Tennessee where they have a shorter growing season, yeah, the persimmons might have been done two weeks ago. Down here in central Alabama where our growing season is longer, the persimmons are still just turning orange. That tree, they're still hanging onto that tree back there. Uh, so, you know, like you might get on a forum or whatever and be like, hey, anybody finding persimmons? And people will say, no, they're done. But they might be, you know, even 100 miles or so away from you. It might be completely different. You just never know. Uh so that's just something to be kind of wary of. I mean, you really got to go out and find it yourself. Um, and just around here in central Alabama, I mean, I've seen persimmons hold as late as, like, Christmas. Uh, where, like, the, all the leaves have fallen off, and you look at the tree, and there's just orange persimmons all over it. And then you can go over there and shake it, and they all just fall right off. Uh, and that could be a pretty cool spot. Of uh, I almost killed a deer in a spot like that one time, but it didn't work. But, uh, yeah, anyways... That's about all I got. You good? So my last thing, so right now I'm going through, uh, I'm always trying to analyze uh, certain things and come up with a new tactic for the season to try out. And one thing I've just come across when I was down in Georgia was um, the time these deer are feeding. And so what I'm going to try to do this season is uh, I'm going to try to do a lot of uh, midday hunts. So, like today, this will be a good time to do, like, a midday hunt, mm -hmm. even though we're in the truck right now and it's almost 2 o'clock. <laughs> um, <laughs> Missed it. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's there's a really good time to to hunt during the middle of the day, and that's what I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to get that time nailed down, and I think I've almost got it nailed down. Um, there's a, a little bit of a, a switch to the overhead underfoot. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it kind of lines up a little bit similar. and um, You're talking about moon phase now. Right. Uh, so Overhead, underfoot, moon? There, Yeah. So as far as the phase of the moon, uh, it, it correlates with that, you know, that overhead, underfoot. Um, and so it, it's going to be a new tactic. I haven't quite got it nailed down just yet. So um, keep your... Uh, keep an eye out for that yeah. um but uh so there's there's two different things so um when you have the the full moon and the new moon uh do your midday hunts um and then when you have your quarter phases uh like going into the new moon uh or you know going into uh the full moon mm -hmm. uh 
you should hunt those times like more like your regular, uh, you know, your regular hunting times, which would be like uh, early in the morning and late in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, outside of that, when you go back to uh, those new moon and full moon uh, phases uh, when you're doing the overhead underfoot, you can still see movement that's going back to bedding in the morning and, you know, that's going back to, uh, you know, to, to feed, you know, at night. Yeah. But a majority of that uh, movement to feed will be either around midnight um, or either, you know, around midday. So mm-hmm. since we can't hunt, you know, <laughs> late at night, <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to focus most of my time during that midday set. The moon is something that I used to pay a lot of attention to. And then I probably should pay attention to it because the reason I quit paying attention to it is kind of silly. But, point, like, I used to really try to figure out the moon because, like, I'm kind of like you and for, like, my whole deer hunting life, I've always tried to, like, overanalyze things. Uh, and so I was, like, really trying to figure out the moon. And back then it was still, which you don't really hear this now, but back then it was, like, terrible deer hunting on full moons deer move all night and then lay up all day and that's all all i ever heard about like a full moon right which i think that's kind of changed i don't think people really say that much anymore uh but yeah i mean it's like full moon is the hunter's enemy um is what ted nugent said on it he made uh he had an album it was like hunting songs and he had two this is like how i got introduced to quote-unquote podcasts he had two like 40 minute talking sessions on there where it was just Ted Nugent talking about deer hunting and like his tactics and like like deer hunting basics and I wore those out and then like two years later three or four years later whatever it was I discovered podcasts but I remember Ted Nugent saying on that thing the full moon is the deer hunter's worst enemy yeah and so I was like yep makes sense and then one day right around Thanksgiving which is when the ruts kind of starting to get kicked up around here it's like pre-rut I went out and I hunted three or four days on that club over there that I told you about. And um, I saw like 17 deer the first morning and I saw like 21 deer the second morning. It's like eight bucks. And it was, I was seeing them between like daylight and like 11 on full moons. And I was like, this moon stuff is BS. And so I just never paid any more attention to it up until today, like however many years later. Yeah. So I kind of do want to pay attention to the moon because guys like Adam Hayes, and uh, Richard Fott and guys like that, they make a good case for it. Like, the moon affects, like, oceans and blah, 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 and it affects so much on Earth. Why wouldn't it affect deer or whatever? So, I mean, there's probably something to it. I don't think that it... I don't think that it's, like, a strong correlation. I think it's, like, some kind of secondary correlation. Yeah, I think it's a secondary. But yeah. if you can Like, today, out, for instance, yeah. you have this rain. Well, <laughs> you know, if it's supposed to rain pouring down cats and dogs... You know, between, you know, 11 in the morning and, say, 3 in the afternoon. Yeah. I mean, the chances of you seeing the deer is probably not going to be good. Yeah. So, I mean, I I do think it's a secondary, but if you can add that secondary into, you know, your weather condition. Yep. Then it will, in my opinion, it strongly increase your chances. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's that's kind of my thoughts on it, too. Yeah. And like I said, it's not like it's going to get rid of your morning, uh, you know, movement and then your late in the evening movement. Mm-hmm. But I, I do feel like you're going to see less of it. Yeah. And then you'll see those big bucks possibly, you know, midday. Yeah. You know. Makes sense to me. 
I guess uh, it's yet to be determined. I'm trying to, this year I'm taking better notes of all my hunts so I can, like, look back and, like, make my own database because I'm a nerd. Uh, make my own, like, database and be able to, like, look through it and try and figure out trends. Right. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. But anyways, let's go, let's go hunt, Mike. Sounds good, man. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.